great, real life. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, this is Adarsh here and I have Agni here with me and we are back once again for another session of Ask Me Anything and uh, this time we have something interesting, right? So with all the wedding season happening across all over the country, we felt like who would be the best people to give advice on what would be the best honeymoon destinations and uh, I mean like who would be better than two bachelors doing that, right? <laughs> so uh, this session would all be about giving you the best recommendations and giving you clarifications or whatever ideas you need regarding uh, uh, people planning for the honeymoon and we I mean like you know what all you have to do is go to the comment section and drop in a comment we would be able to answer it and uh, we also have a lot of offline queries which we would be taking one by one so um, and before that anything you want to share with me I think we can just like uh, directly uh, dive into the session. It's like so, uh, you can ask us anything. I mean, uh, the idea is to because as Adish mentioned, right? Uh, a lot of people have are getting Jan Feb is essentially the wedding season. So a lot of people are getting married within the next two three months and uh, are planning their honeymoon out. So in case if, if you have any, it can, the questions can be very broad. Uh, broad-minded or like very open-ended as well. So, from in terms of what sort of destination you guys are considering, and uh, if you can also get give us an idea as to what sort of travelers you are, then based on that as well, we can help you in terms of destination suggestions. Uh, you know, what are the visa inquiries, anything. The idea is just to be as open-ended as possible. Perfect. So, uh, diving in right away, uh, we have first question from Aditya from Chennai. Uh, what is the most affordable international honeymoon destinations? Okay, that's broad. Okay, so uh, Aditya see, so ideally we would need a, a clarity as to what you would define as affordable, right? Because people would have a particular mindset when it comes to the time frame and the budget they would have for a particular destination. So, uh, I mean like, you know, you could start as low as like, you know, starting say from 40,000 or 50,000 per person and look at really good destinations like Thailand or Bali, Sri Lanka, Maldives, etc. And you can go as high as uh, like you know probably say a lakh or so per person and still do some really like you know good offbeat destinations across Europe as well so considering places like Italy or Eastern Europe spanning across Prague, Vienna, Budapest so these are probably good options you would have and uh, considering these points I think you should be able to make your pick and uh, like, you know take it forward. Um, next, I think we have Tanvi from Hyderabad asking, what places in Europe would you recommend for honeymoons? I think you would yeah. want to make this up. So, uh, the thing with Europe is, uh, you know, it's a huge continent at the end of the day, right? And it has almost close to about some 35 to 40 countries that you can pick and choose from. Um, and depending upon your taste, again, these, when it comes to honeymoons and all that, these are all very personal preferences. Some people want to go to the tri-invested destinations like Paris and Switzerland. You know, Paris is, after all, you know, a very romantic city. Uh, it's known for the Eiffel Tower, the views from the Eiffel Tower, the river cruises, and some beautiful shows, uh, and a great nightlife at the end of the day. And apart from that, you've got, you know, classics like Switzerland. I mean, uh, combining Paris and Switzerland has been one of the most time-tested uh, itineraries that people have been doing for decades right now. So, uh, let, like people do say three nights in Paris and four nights in Switzerland or, uh, you know, three nights in Switzerland. A good combination of a big city and some laid-back uh, places uh, in Switzerland. 
So Paris-Switzerland has been a very popular combination. Italy, uh, it again, it depends. Uh, this is something that's very personal uh, to couples. People who are into food and culture and a bit of history and architecture and just like the general charm of a place, I think Italy would be right up there early because uh, Rome has that very you know ancient feeling to the entire city. Uh, Florence is, has got some very good wine tasting and uh, is great for people who love food. And Venice, on the other hand, has been the honeymooners paradise uh, for a lot of people and has been a deep the dream destination for a lot of honeymooners. So Italy can also be a great honeymoon destination. And of course a lot of people, these are the three primary cities that people usually visit in Italy but you also can consider something offbeat like the Amalfi Coast down south which has absolutely beautiful you know, coastal drives and uh, probably somewhere in the north near the Dolomites you can look uh, at Milan wherein you have uh, trips to uh, this place called Lake Como or Garda. Uh, so these are like a bit off beat. I mean, and we've had people doing uh, honeymoon strictly alone for about say 10 to 12 days. So that can be an option. And apart from that, there's always, you know, uh, Greece. Uh, Greece has been, uh, last year I think Greece has been one of the most shoppers destinations for, for honeymooners. Yeah. I mean, people who have been to Maldives and uh, Mauritius uh, or you know it's like one of the island destinations but want something that has a bit more culture and has some great food then uh, for them Greece is always a great destination. So I think these are some of the you know uh, uh, time-tested uh, honeymoon destinations that you can think of. Yes. Um, I mean again Europe is a huge continent so depending upon your preferences we can look at Spain and Portugal is one combination yeah. and people who love uh, you know great road trips Per se, they usually love Iceland, uh, a 10 day road trip and that's something that's very offbeat. Uh, so I think Iceland is also a good combination or uh, something towards the eastern side, Eastern Europe, Eastern European countries like say Croatia, Budapest and Slovenia are also a great combination you guys can think of. Perfect, great. So uh, in the comments we have Xavier, uh, I read about your startup from the manual for Indian Startups book, lovely, that's great. Looks like we're making news. Uh, great, uh, and thanks a lot, Xavier. And uh, moving on to our next question. What would be the best destination if we are looking to cover destinations with good amount of adventure sports to be done? Okay, cool, a lot of adventure on a honeymoon trip. So this is from uh, Sanket from Bangalore. Uh, so Sanket, I think when you are looking at adventure sports in specific, you might want to look into a different geography all put together, right? So down south in places like say Australia or New Zealand is one option which you could look into. Or alternatively, South Africa is also another option if you are like, you know, looking into a good mix of road trips, adventure sports like skydiving, bungee jumping, and uh, some bit of like, you know, game drives along the Kruger National Park. So these are good options that you could probably contemplate between. But honestly, if you're looking at a full-on adventure kind of trip, I would really recommend New Zealand, considering you have the world's adventure capital over there in Queenstown. And also, like, the entire country is absolutely fantastic uh, with respect to the kind of ambience and atmosphere it has for good for a good mix of adventure sports. Like, you know, you name it, you have it over there, right? So short over jet, you have... Uh, whitewater river rafting, you have skydiving, bungee jumping and whatnot, right? So I think that's something which you should really consider and probably the best time to visit places like Australia and New Zealand would be sometime towards the later half of the year, starting from say 
the late of September or the early October onwards, and the season would ideally prolong till the last week of uh, March, till the first week of April, till it kind of gets cold. So, I think that's a good answer for you. Next, um, I think we have Varun Patel uh, asking for any insights on Royal Caribbean cruises uh, for the honeymoon. Right, okay. So, uh, Varun, I think uh, probably you might uh, want to be a little bit specific when you mention Royal Caribbean cruises, given that they operate all across the world, right? So, one option would be uh, towards the Southeast Asian destinations, starting from Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Indonesia as well sometimes. These are one, this is one option which you could look into. The other option is, of course, the more exotic experience across the western side, across uh, the Caribbean and the Bahamas. Uh, so probably you might want to like you know land in the U.S. and like you know start the cruise from places like say Miami or something like that, right? So uh, I think that would ideally be a good base for you to start at. And um, cruises would ideally like you know you again have a lot of options over there, ranging from a three-night cruise or a five-night cruise, and it might go as long as like say a two-week cruise as well. But you might want to consider certain factors like you know. If you may not get seasick, and you may not, some people tend to get really bored of like you know the same experience over and over again. Provided you are traveling with a like you know uh, good destination, so I think that should really work out well. So we got another question from uh, Raj Kiran. Uh, do you think Iceland would be uh, suitable honeymoon destinations, or would you guys recommend Finland instead, like the Blue Hearts? I think, uh, you know, uh, it depends upon which time of the year you guys are uh, planning to go because I th if you're looking for a summer's destination, then Iceland would any day be a better bet than Finland. Finland is has been, you know, traditionally and is a very great winter destination if you guys are looking for uh, Northern Lights tours, if you guys want to visit the Santa Claus Village or if you guys, uh, you know, want to do, uh, you know, husky sledding or uh, dog sledding, those sort of, you know, winter sport activities. If that is what you guys are looking for, or if you guys want to stay in ice hotels, uh, or you know, stay in those igloo hotels, and you know, have those glass domed windows, and you know, want to watch the northern lights, then I think Finland would be a really good option for you. But in case, on the other hand, if you're looking for a beautiful, very scenic road trip uh, with beautiful waterfalls, some uh, amazing glacier hikes, and uh, you have one of the best. Uh, glaciers called the Yokelsarland in Iceland and uh, it's like I think uh, we have had people doing about close to 10 to 15 days on an average road trip across the uh, entire uh, Iceland ring, uh, ring road. Yeah. So uh, depending upon when you guys want to go and what you guys are looking for, it can be you guys can choose between Iceland and Finland. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we have Vigneshwar Maran asking what time of the year is best for watching Northern Lights. Great, so uh, I think uh, Vignesh, probably you might uh, want to plan this as a seasonal thing given that Northern Lights would ideally, like you know, span between the last week of August till the uh, like you know, first week of March. Uh, so ideally, like though the season is notable. Like you know, span between this time frame, you might want to like plan it sometime in the months of say like December, Jan, or Feb, where you have a um, good proximity and a good chance of viewing the lights because these uh, particular three months are when you have a like you know maximum possibility to view the northern lights. And one tip I would give over here is if at all you're planning any 
a specific base to view the Northern Lights, like probably see Reykjavik or Tromsø or like you know any other parts of the Lapland across Sweden or Finland. Probably you might want to have a good amount of three to five nights uh, as a minimum uh, time frame, so that you have. You, you would likely be able to see the lights at least across one of the nights over there, right? Because you would it com it's completely weather dependent. You need to have clear skies. It's not supposed to uh, snow or rain. So you have a lot of factors going around over here. And these are kind of things which would likely to uh, happen a lot during the uh, winter time. So that is one thing which you need to consider before planning for the northern lights. Um, Next, uh, I think Varun Patel has come back saying that for the Royal Caribbean cruise, he would prefer it from Singapore, right? So I think, like I said, Varun, uh, looking into Southeast Asia, you could probably start from Singapore and then uh, look into, like, you know, cruising along the entire, uh, like, you know, uh, region across places like, say, Penang in Malaysia, Langkawi. From Singapore, you have like uh, multiple cruises as we are discussing, right? So it depends upon what your budget is and uh, how many number of nights you're looking for the cruise for. So if you're just looking for a uh, for a traditional cruise experience wherein you want to be aboard uh, the ship, uh, so you have these uh, like two night cruises from Singapore that takes you into the high seas and brings you back. But if you guys are also looking for something that has a beautiful coastline, you know, beautiful beaches, then you have these uh, cruises that go to uh, Langkawi and Penang uh, along the coast of uh, Malaysia or uh, other destinations. You even have uh, cruises going all the way up to Bali and coming back as well. So, yeah, you have a lot of options again to choose from. Perfect, great. Uh, next. Uh you want to take the next question at me? Uh, sure. So we've got um, JD asking us, I would like to do some offbeat destinations in Swiss. So when is the best time to go and what is the budget, budget approximately for uh, two adults? Mm -hmm. So Switzerland has, uh, so it's like people mostly visit Switzerland during summertime, right? So Switzerland season starts uh, between uh, early April and goes on till uh, say late August. September or mid-October. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of offbeat places, I think Glusen and Klaken has been the most visited places in Switzerland. Right. And you know, for the right reasons, so it's got the mountain titlet, it's got Jungfrauik. So these are something that people definitely, it's like uh, must visit. So uh, spending at least three nights in Luzon and doing titlet and Jungfrauik is a mandatory thing. But apart from that, if you're looking for something offbeat, if you guys are interested in Swiss chocolates and visiting the Swiss chocolate factories, then uh, spending a couple of nights in Montreux, uh, which is like about an hour and a half train journey from Geneva, is an amazing idea because you have a specific train called the Swiss chocolate train, in which you know they serve you these Swiss chocolates, and you know the train is all about uh, the chocolates as well, and it takes you all the way up to the Nestlé uh, factory in the mountains, and they also take you to one of the cheese factories as well. Mm. So if that is something that amuses you, then uh, Montreux is a brilliant place. But apart from that, uh, Zermatt is an amazing uh, offbeat place because uh, it's one of those towns or cities where uh, even cars are not uh, allowed uh, inside the cities. So it's got that very small, quaint, uh, villagey uh, atmosphere to the entire thing. And it also is home to Switzerland's most iconic peak called the Matterhorn. I think you guys might, might have seen this peak uh, on the logo of Toblerone's uh, uh, chocolate bar. So, and it is, uh, you have like a couple of excursions from there and it is just breathtaking and stunning. And it's a brilliant winter destination as well. So if you guys don't mind uh, minus 10 to minus uh, 20 degrees uh, during winter, Zermatt just looks absolutely stunning during winter.
And in terms of budget, I think uh, Switzerland is one of the most expensive European uh, destinations that you can visit. So on an average, people go to, if you're planning just a Switzerland alone trip, people go for about eight days and uh, roughly about uh, between 2.5 to 3, three depending upon what sort of hotel and what price. your airfares are. Yeah. Somewhere between 2.5 and 3 inclusive airfares flights and uh, the activities as well. Great. Uh, next, I we would be taking one from Chaira Venugopal. Uh, what would be the ideal destination for a honeymoon within a budget of 2 lakh in the month of May? So, Jenam, uh, I think uh, circling back to the same question as to what Aditya asked, uh, I think like you know something affordable is what you're looking at uh, within a time span of a week or so uh, for two lakhs uh, for the two of you put together. Uh, so, coming back, I think probably you might want to look into places like uh, Italy or like you know Eastern Europe, or sometimes if it works out to be a lot more cost efficient, I think Spain is also one place which you could consider. And uh, I think, like you know, keeping these three geographies is something which you would want to, like you know, uh, keep in mind before, like you know, taking a call as to what you would want to do. Uh, and next, we have one from Abhishek Agarwal. Uh, what is the ideal budget to cover New Zealand's self-drive with activities in the month of December? Hey Abhishek, how are you? Uh, long time no see. He actually just uh, did a South Africa vacation with us. Oh, lovely. Okay, three months back. <laughs> Yeah, right. It was a self-drive as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, well, you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, great. So, uh, Abhishek, so uh, I think when you are looking at New Zealand uh, with a similar experience uh, to drive across both the islands, uh, I think a minimum of around uh, 10 to 15 days is what I would recommend. I mean, like when I did New Zealand, I did for a solid 14 days. And honestly, I didn't find it to be sufficient enough, right? It, it, it just doesn't do justice to the countryside and the amount of adventure and the amount of attractions it has. So I think if you're looking anywhere between a 10 to 15 day trip, you might be looking at a rough ballpark of around say 2.25 to 2.5 lakhs per person. And within this, you would ideally be looking uh, at wrapping off your international flights, your internal flights with baggage of course, your accommodation across all the cities like you know, Probably you might say look at uh, Auckland, Rotorua, Bay of Islands, and uh, like you know uh, the Coromandel town, Hahe. So these are places which you could consider in the North Island. But we would honestly recommend spending phenomenal amount of time in the South Island, where like you know the major amount of the adventure and the beautiful landscapes are located. So uh, I think like places spanning across Queenstown, uh, Mount Cook, Franz Josef. Uh, the entire Fairland National Park, which goes like you know towards the Milford Sound, and uh, of course Christchurch for a really good nightlife and some really good gardens across the city. Um, I think like you might want to like uh, spend time across this. And uh, one important tip uh, that we wanted to like you know uh, <coughs> note, uh, give you as a note over here, Abhishek, is when you are driving in New Zealand, uh, the best part is again you wouldn't need uh, an international driving license. You you would just need. Uh, your Indian uh, driving license which is valid and in English and uh, you would also need to submit a credit card which has a minimum balance of a lakh and a half so that they, would, they wouldn't be any hassle while you pick up the vehicle uh, at the airports. So, uh, so coming back, I think your, your flights, stay, car hire, accommodation and the visa cost put, put together, you should be able to wrap it up under 2.5 per person. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, I think we have something Dwaraka. from Dwaraka, which you yeah. might want to take, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, is Greece better than Seychelles? What would be the difference? My fiance is super inclined towards Greece and me Seychelles. Can you help us choose the best? So uh, I think it depends. Uh, this boils down to we are interested. Uh, but in terms of difference between the two islands, Seychelles is a classic tropical uh, island that is you know very similar in terms to Maldives or Mauritius, but a bit more of scale than Maldives or Mauritius is. So if you want, if you're looking for a tropical island destination with a lot of water sports, a bit of scuba. And some beautiful resorts to you know when you just you know enjoy spend most of your time at the property and just want to chill without roaming around or spending a lot on activities or actually you know plan to do anything per se then Seychelles is the island uh, of choice. But the thing about Greece is uh, it's slightly different, so it's not a tropical island. It's it's an island in the Mediterranean, so the weather is a lot more uh, pleasant uh, and a lot less humid than what you find uh, in Seychelles. Uh, and uh, Greece isn't about uh, the water sports. Greece is more about uh, lapping in uh, luxury in terms of the resorts. Uh, so you don't have a lot of beachfront resorts uh, in Greece the way you have in Seychelles. It's more about having those beautiful, you know, sea views from the top of a cliff, and uh, you know, staying in resorts that have its own, uh, you know, private jacuzzi or like an infinity pool or uh, that sort of thing. So Santorini is all about that and those beautiful whitewashed uh, houses and villages with the blue domes that is very iconic uh, about Greece per se. You might and have come across it in a lot of movies as well. Yes. So probably I think Santorini is one place which you could wish which was, <coughs> which ideally would be a must do when people consider Greece. But apart from that, when people have uh, another set of requirements, like say they would want to have a good mix of nightlife and parties happening around, probably you could consider neighboring islands like Mykonos or Eos. Uh, Probably, I think those would be yes. the best options in terms of like you know considering a good nightlife. But uh, apparently, Mykonos also has equal amount of like you know good cruises uh, along the uh, coastal line. So places like say Rhenia or Dragoni Sea, these are beautiful islands along the coastline uh, of Mykonos where you can take a cruise uh, like for a day or so and like you know experience some really mind-blowing landscapes and like you know your typical crystal blue waters that you see in most of the movies and. Those things are actually real, right? So we just think that it's this is what only comes in movies, but you would actually face the real deal when you visit such places. So I think that is something which you could really consider. So to come back, just to you know, put it in one word, Seychelles. If you guys are interested in tropical islands and just want to laugh in uh, luxury uh, at the resorts, and you love beaches, Greece. If you like parties, if you like a bit of history, and you guys uh, love to uh, you know love to hit, go to a place which has a good amount of restaurants and bars and have the charming vibe about it. Yes, I hope I've answered that question. Perfect. And, uh, and uh, next we have an offline query from Divya out of Delhi. What would be the visa documents needed if we are planning our honeymoon? Right, okay. So something which kind of like falls in a little bit serious after all the fun planning is done, right? So uh, Divya see, basically with respect to the visa documents, you would ideally need the following things. One is with respect to your financials, right? So it purely depends upon as to if you're self-employed or if you are working in a company or an organization. So basis that, you would ideally have to submit uh, your bank statements for the last six months your ITRs for the last three years. This would be for your personal self. And um, if you're based, if you have your own company, uh, if you're running your own company, then you would have to submit the same set of documents for your company as well. That is one thing. 
the second thing uh, being with respect to uh, the pay slips uh, and also like you know if you're working in a company you would need to submit an NOC from your reporting manager or from your HR stating that like you know so and so is taking off from uh, X period to Y period and they would be coming back to uh, resume work on this particular set date. So I mean the whole idea of giving all these documents is to ensure that you have sufficient fin funds to finance yourself for the entire duration of the trip and also to ensure that you don't give the idea to the immigration officer saying that you might be a potential immigrant over there because that is one of the biggest scares across places like US or the uh, UK and Europe where people wouldn't want people like you know tourists uh, entering the country and like you know finding prospective job uh, offers or anything like that. So these would be the set of financial documents that would be necessary. Apart from that, of course, your application letter, the covering letter which we would have to frame out saying that, I mean, the covering letter is just basically the story of why you're visiting uh, XYZ country and uh, like, you know, what would be the duration, what is the purpose and like, you know, please grant my visa. That's pretty much it. Um, I think like, you know, when you sign up for a holiday with us, our team, we have a dedicated team on, uh, and we also have a portal online uh, where you would be able to download a solid checklist which would ideally give you a clear, crisp, crisp clarity as to what the exact documents needed are. And like, you know, uh, like, you know, help you arrange all the documents before you go to the VFS center and we would also be able to help you book an appointment at the nearest VFS center because as you must be aware applying a Schengen visa is to be done through the VFS given that they are one of the biggest monopoly in India and they would be coordinating in terms of transferring your documents to the respective embassies and uh, I think that should be it with respect to the kind of documents you need and more importantly when you're planning for a honeymoon you would also apart from the NOCs that you submit from your office you would also need to submit NOCs from your respective parents as well. So stating that like you know I have no objection in terms of sending so my son or my daughter with so and so for the honeymoon and they would return back. So it kind of is, it may sound a little bit unnecessary but that's something which is mandatory across most of the embassies. So please don't forget to uh, have that submitted as well. I think you can necessarily choose uh, honeymoon destinations uh, based on uh, the visa requirements as well, right? At what right. stage in planning you are. If you're only like about two months in uh, advance in planning, then most like Australia and New Zealand may not, uh, you know, becomes too much of a close call for visa. Uh, Europe, you at least need to apply. It's always safe to apply at least like a month or a month and a half uh, for the visa. And uh, whereas Southeast Asian destinations, speed Bali, Vietnam, Cambodia, Sri Lanka. Uh, Seychelles, Maldives, Mauritius, um, or uh, what are the places we have? Philippines. Philippines. So, it's like all these places either have visa on arrival or the visa gets processed in less than uh, five, or, five or ten working days. So, it's like, and it's a much more straightforward visa process wherein you don't have to go for your biometrics or you don't have to go in person for any of these things. Uh, somebody usually comes and picks your documents from your place, and it's a lot more convenient, a lot less hassle free than uh, Europe and Australia and uh, New Zealand are. So, depending again about, you know, which stage, how soon you guys are planning to work or uh, what stage of the honeymoon process you guys are in, you guys can choose the destination as well. Um, perfect. So, um, next, uh, okay, so someone internally is asking us, uh, Srinath is like, boys, when are you planning your honeymoon? Uh, Srinath, I think we should have some kind of like, you know, leisure time apart from work for that. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> I, I think that answers leaves. you. <laughs> I need to get my leaves off as well for that. <laughs> Poor fellow has been trying for the last six months, right? <laughs> I hope that 
that answers your question. I mean, he most probably should be getting hitched in a year or so, and uh, I have no idea what yeah. is there in cards for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, moving on, uh, we have uh, Jyoti from Portland, okay, all the way from US, asking us if we are based out of West USA, uh, what would be the ideal honeymoon destination options? We aren't keen on flying long hours towards Europe or Australia, New Zealand. Alright, so um, Jyoti, I think probably if you're not fancy about taking long flights from the US, you might want to look into somewhere across like you know the middle uh, Central, Central American destinations uh, and also like you know the Caribbean islands as well. So options would ideally range starting from Costa Rica, Panama or like you know. Uh, Even Bolivia. So South American South destination South American is also something which you could look at. Or even Canada for that matter. Ah, works yes. really well. I mean, because you have very, uh, especially if you're based out of uh, San Francisco or uh, LA, you have very direct, uh, quick flights uh, to be it Vancouver or Montreal or any of these places in Canada as well. And Canada is also, like, you know, known to be uh, a destination which is like full of cities and nightlife and stuff. But once you move towards the western side, towards the Canadian Rockies and places like say Bath for Alberta so I think these are beautiful places which has amazing like you know countrysides and good <coughs> national parks and uh, if you are holding an Indian passport with a valid US visa I think you can make use of that to visit places in South America like probably say Bolivia or Peru or Colombia so these are places which accept uh, like you know Indian citizens with a valid US visa and uh, you wouldn't need to apply for a visa for these destinations at all so I think that is something which you could make use of and like you know probably like you know explore something exotic across these places like for example if you're planning Colombia you could like you know have a good mix of like you know history adventure sports and good amount of nightlife across like you know starting from San Gil from Cartagena Medin uh, Bogota and a little bit if you're willing to go spend a little more and go a little bit offbeat probably the Galapagos Islands is something which you should really consider if you're looking for a good island retreat and also to like you know experience some of the best uh, scuba dives in the world so uh, I think like the marine life over there is like absolutely fascinating uh, compared to what you experience uh, like you know in places across Southeast Asia or in Australia so I think that answers uh, I think, but in like, general people who are staying in the US should make the best use of the opportunity uh, to visit the Americas right? Exactly, because right. you know once you move to Europe or Southeast Asia or India back to India right uh, your flight costs to these places alone are close to somewhere between like at least like 90k to it starts at 90k a, a yeah, 90, a yeah, 90 is like a very good deal that you get that you don't get very often so you end up saying at least like about, about a lakh or a lakh and a half just from the flights alone so if you guys are based out of North America you have brilliant places Chile, Argentina, uh, Brazil and cover the, the entire Americas before you even consider probably Europe I, but I think Iceland, uh, especially if you're based out of the East Coast, Iceland has You have direct flights from New York to New York to Reykjavik. Reykjavik. That's right, so, yeah, Reykjavik. So I think you guys can make use of that as well in visit Iceland. Great. Uh, so I think next we can take a question from Srijit, based out of Coimbatore. So what Srijit is asking is, what is the best time to plan a honeymoon in Europe to avoid crowds? Alright, so uh, street in July, August yeah. would be our first suggestion because July, August, uh, not only is it like the peak summer months, I mean of course uh, peak summer is also one of the highest uh, visited time uh, in Europe, but uh, the thing is it brings crazy amount of crowds because you have the American uh, July 4th, 
the American independence, and then on the 14th of July you have the Bastille Day in France. So right. the French have their holidays. Most of the Europeans and Americans are on vacation in July, August. So bringing huge swaths of crowds, and it just become for some people it just becomes a huge turn off. And especially uh, if you guys are planning your honeymoon, and if you can postpone your uh, vacation to either September or before uh, June, then nothing better than that. So. Uh, we we usually suggest that April, May, June is brilliant in terms of weather, and it's not too crowded. And again, September just before winter sets in is another you know uh, sweet spot that you guys can uh, target for. Of course, if you guys are going uh, for the most economical prices, or uh, the months between November and Feb are uh, the most economical. It becomes when it goes to when it's about Europe. Right, cool. So uh, I think next we have uh, Ruby from Kolkata asking us if budget wasn't a constraint, which places would you recommend for a honeymoon given we like nature, seclusion and maximum comfort? Alright, so uh, Ruby, I think you're looking for a good mix of luxury and nature. So, of course, uh, nailing it down to some exotic island destinations, since you say budget is not a constraint, and I'm assuming you might, you would be, uh, like, you know, open to stretching it up, say, probably, say, 3 lakhs or 5 lakhs per person. You could make the most out of it by looking into some really exotic places like the Fiji Islands uh, and you can probably combine it with Australia or New Zealand or if you're like you know looking to uh, fly out from say the US or also like you know combining it with uh, New Zealand probably Bora Bora and Papiti is something which you could really look into because Bora Bora is known to be like you know the more exotic and a much more expensive version of the Maldives right so I mean like it's got its own character and the uh, the amount of uh, seclusion and the privacy you get over there is something which you don't experience anywhere across the other island destinations like probably say the archipelago in Philippines or in Bali or even the Manila Islands across Mauritius, Maldives and Seychelles, right? So I think you might want to consider those kind of destinations if like you know you're open to these kind of suggestions. So yep. So uh, I think uh, Arshi Banu has asked us, I've yet to go on my honeymoon. What is the best destination to travel? Uh, what what is the good season to travel? Looking for more romantic, scenic beauty with a lot of adventure and nightlife. Okay, Archie, so you want everything. <laughs> the honeymoon, given that it's already late, I think it's fair that you expect it all. Uh, see, so <laughs> I think uh, if you're looking for a good mix of romance, scenic beauty, adventure and nightlife, uh, coming to our old point, uh, spanning across Western Europe, right? So, if you have a good time frame of, say, a two-week uh, span or something, spanning across 20 days or something like that, for good romantic places, you might want to look into places across Switzerland and Italy. For good nightlife, you might look into places like, say, Spain or some of the islands near Spain, like the Canary Islands, Ibiza, Mallorca. So, these are options that you could probably look into. And, uh, like, you know, of course, like uh, Seeing Beauty, Switzerland completely does justice uh, for those kind of destinations. So, but my only point is if you're looking for, like, you know, the perfect mix of all these things, the season also kind of matters importantly. So, you might want to plan it sometime uh, in months where, like, you know, the party scenes in Spain are up at its peak, like, probably say July, August. So, these are times where, like, you know, all the parties and the nightclubs in the pizza open up and uh, the 
weather is going to be absolutely fantastic in places like Switzerland and like you know things it would be a tad bit crowded in places like uh, Venice or Florence in Italy but nevertheless it's going to be absolutely romantic so I think that gives that should give you a good clarity as to what you're looking at uh, next I think we have Kritika Nadrajan, uh, best places to fly out from Boston would be, and uh, we would not have, uh, we would not want any cold places. Budget is not a constraint, but something scenic and adventurous. Uh, the main concern is that we don't want long flights. We are looking at a 10-day plan. So, if a critical suit, if you're based on a Massachusetts, I think uh, the kind of connectivity over there, you might want to look into, like you know, shifting base to some other nearby uh, bigger airport. So probably like JFK or like say Miami would ideally like you know give you a good head start to take a flight uh, for a good uh, exotic place. And given that you're saying budget is not a constraint, I think it comes back to our same point where we uh, advised on like you know making the most of it by exploring the Americas and Central America. Uh, speaking of Central America, I think one point which we missed last time was you might want to experience some offbeat places like Belize. So like you know again you might want to make use of it in terms of like you know having a good amount of uh, adventure sports like skydiving or scuba diving uh, in the great blue hole that is something which you could explore and uh, of course peru and colombia is something which you could look into because it's uh, i don't think like you know it's a uh, long flight from miami down to these places across lima or uh, bogota so i think that should at least give you a good head start or if you're looking somewhere across the north Towards the eastern side of Canada, Nova Scotia has got an absolutely lovely countryside, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Like you know, to spend, uh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend to have that as a base to have a 10 day time span. You could kind of club it with other places across the western, uh, eastern, uh, western sides of Canada, uh, like Banff, Alberta, Vancouver, etc. So I think that should give you a good head start to start planning. <laughs> You might want to take God, one. Another question uh, from Brabu. Uh, hey, what is the best time to visit Morocco, and what are the what all places would you take to cover completely? Positive constraints. Weren't you planning your honeymoon to Morocco? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but yeah. So it's like Morocco is uh, another uh, huge country, and that's a very offbeat destination. It's great if you guys are into uh, you know the Arabian uh, desert, uh, the uh, Sahara desert in particular. So, so when it comes to Morocco, it's like people usually do the golden triangle, right? So people want to do fairs for its uh, great markets and people want to enter into Marrakesh because Marrakesh is the cultural uh, hub for Morocco mm -hmm. and you have some very interesting Arabian architecture and uh, Moroccan architecture because it was from Marrakesh that people usually invaded Spain and set up a base there out as well. So Marrakesh is very rich in history, be it in terms of palaces, be it in terms of architecture and culture. And then from Marrakesh, uh, you can actually take a road trip all the way to Aik Ben Hadao, which was featured in one of the uh, James Bond films. I'm, I'm not sure which one were. it was, probably Octopussy or something. Not a fan of But so it's like Aik Ben Hadao is a very iconic uh, sand, cast, sand castle that was that's very close to the Sahara Desert and absolutely picturesque and gorgeous. And from there, then you uh, take a road trip down to Tej Valley and then it doesn't get any better than spending a couple of nights under uh, a tent uh, in you know in the Sahara desert near uh, the Atlas Mountains and near the Atlas Mountains, right? So it's like you have the option of spending a couple of nights in HB and you know just spending just two nights under the starry skies amidst the desert, just one hell of an experience. 
and then you make your way out uh, out of Fez and visit probably Casablanca and Morocco uh, or Chefeshouven which is sort of similar to a Jodhpur where you have those blue, uh, blue houses and you know has got a very charming European plus Arabian culture confluence going on in that city so you've got very interesting options but the thing about Morocco is your flights uh, your DP is looking at about somewhere between about 80 to 1k 1 lakh per person on the flights alone and but the land should not be so expensive uh, so somewhere you're looking at a budget of between 1.5 and 2 for about say 10 days should be a good budget for uh, Morocco and other hat tip which I would say is if you have a longer duration and you're looking to club Morocco with another destination, you might want to look at combining it with Spain because the advantage that you have is from the southern side of Andalusia, from places like see Malaga, you can take a ferry and move directly to Tangier. And from Tangier you can move down for south as per what I've said into Fay, Marrakesh, Casablanca and like you know, uh, from of course Casablanca you head back to India. So I think that would really like you know at least give you a good opportunity to save as much as possible on the flights because considering uh, Madrid and Barcelona or even Malaga per se has really good international connectivity from uh, airports in India like <coughs> Delhi or Bombay with like you know good connectivity from Turkish Airlines or Aerofloat so I think you might want to like you know keep an eye out for such uh, like you know flights which run a good deal and like you know the ferry cost also doesn't like you know uh, it, it, it isn't as expensive as you think it's going to be hardly something around say like four or five grand per person in terms of taking a ferry down to Tantia. So I think that's one way where you could look at optimizing the cost. In terms of weather, I think uh, best time would be similar to uh, any desert destination, right? Mm -hmm. Try targeting between November and Feb or March at the latest. Definitely not after April to uh, September, October because it just gets freaking hot in those regions and it just becomes unbearable uh, to even travel. So uh, we would recommend if you guys are targeting for Morocco, which is between the months of November uh, to March. Um, Perfect. Next one? I think you might want to take this. I think uh, how is Africa as a honeymoon destination? Which place would you suggest? So Shami from Mumbai is kind of looking uh, like you know interested towards Africa. I think uh, that's something that you would want to take. So uh, Africa again, you know, is a huge continent, uh, but. Given the political situation in Africa, you know, Central West and almost East Africa is like out of the question. So, I think South Africa is one of the one of the biggest hits in uh, Africa as a honeymoon destination because uh, it doesn't have the safety issues uh, that some of the other African countries uh, do have. And uh, in terms of what it has to offer, it has a very diverse set of things to do. It's got great road connectivity and great road networks and it has a lot of diverse things set, set of things to do. If you guys are interested in wildlife, it doesn't get any better than spending two nights at the safari lodge in one of the Kruger National Parks. And depending upon your budget, uh, depending on how much you guys want to spend, you have safari lodges that cost somewhere about say 20-25k a night and all the way up to a lakh a night as well. And uh, the garden route uh, in South Africa, covering the stretch between Naisna and Cape Town, some of the best coastal drives in the world. And it has been rated as one of the top 10 uh, road trips uh, to do consistently over the last decade as well. And combine that with some brilliant nightlife in Cape Town, and Naisna also has this place called Sitsikama National Park which is a great spot for bungee. Uh, the Blue Crans Bridge. The right. Blue Crans Bridge bungee. And it has an amazing kayaking uh, fjords scene going on there. And if you and you get to, and near Cape Town there's this place called Hamanas, 
which uh, has a very unique uh, adventure activity called shark cage diving, wherein you are put inside a cage and uh, you are dipped into the water and the sharks are fed and they come. I mean, and these are not your normal sharks. Sharks feed on us? So no, like, no, okay. not just for the feed. Not right, okay. <laughs> cage and it will be like uh, protected and all that uh, but you know that's a very unique adventure sport that you don't get to do probably elsewhere in the world so that's something that you guys should definitely try and between the months of uh, say uh, June to November is a great season for whale watching again in Hamanas so you have humpbacks uh, migrating uh, towards the southern coast of South Africa during this particular during these five months and it's something that you guys should definitely take up and a uh, great place for wine tasting uh, in a place called Franchoic and you also get in Stellenbosch and Franchoic, the vineyard regions and uh, the best part is you also get to see penguins in South Africa not in cages or not in zoos but in open beaches in a place called Boulders Beach so I think it has something that you know uh, uh, it that is required for an essentially a great honeymoon great road trips, great scenery, good nightlife and you know a lot of diversity in terms of what it has to offer but apart from that you know Seychelles is an island destination or Zanzibar as an island destination are great picks to choose from right. not sure but if, for anyone who's interested in history Egypt can be uh, a very great uh, you know destination not probably for a honeymoon but at least if you guys are looking planning your anniversary out and want something interesting with some uh, with a great uh, cruise uh, we usually have people doing three or four nights on the Nile River and you know, of course, you know, the charm of the pyramids, the Sphinx and the Abu Simbel temples are something that has attracted a lot of people as well. Right. So, so you have subbed up Africa as a... I think I left out Tanzania and Kenya, <laughs> but that is primarily for people who are like super into wildlife right. and uh, just probably want to do like a six or a seven day safari and probably between and you know, do the migration. What would this ah, great yes. migration? The uh, wildebeest migration. Wildebeest migration. I think that... I mean, considering the kind of travelers who signed up for that, I think mm -hmm. it's mostly families with it's children. Mostly it's mostly families, kind of like, but we've had couples doing that as well. Uh, not as a honeymoon, but you know, always a great Just anniversary. Just a nature trip. Or yes, exactly. Right. Um, <coughs> all right. So uh, we have Deepika from Vaisak, uh, who's asked us: in, Is Paris an overrated honeymoon destination? Uh, how do we plan on honeymoon without only visiting the overrated spots in the city? Great, so this is something which uh, we are often asked when people plan their honeymoon because like then, uh, I mean stereotypically Indians fall right into the bucket where like you know when they plan into Europe it's just going to be Paris, Switzerland and Italy, right? Not even Italy, just Paris and Switzerland and I'm done, right? So it's just like a uh, tick in the checkbox. But uh, honestly me having personally visited Paris, I honestly don't think Paris is uh, an overrated place considering the amount of like you know the vibrance and like you know the electrifying nightlife that the city has to offer. It's absolutely fantastic both during the daytime and during the nighttime, right? So apart from like you know the usual places where people would ideally want to flock into like you know places like the Eiffel Tower, the Seine River, your uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral and the Louvre Museum and uh, probably from Paris you might want to take a day trip to the Versailles Palace. So these are this is it, of course, that goes without saying. <laughs> so, I think these are places which are like, you know, stereotypically, uh, like, you know, set as a bucket list when people visit Paris. 
but I think from Paris you have a lot of beautiful day trips that you can take. So I think Loire Valley is one place which you could look into uh, for if you're into good wine tasting and which has also got some beautiful castles uh, around the area. And uh, towards the northern side of Paris you can also look at places like say uh, Rain or Champagne. So these are also beautiful vineyards. Given that France is known for its wine culture, wine culture I think these are things which you could really make good use of if you don't want to like you know move outside Paris and just keep it as a base and uh, I think like you know probably uh, places like say Normandy is one place which you could look into if you're a bit into nature I mean a bit into architecture and history so a lot of world war II history uh, linking behind that so I think that is one thing which you could look into but if at all you feel Paris is something which is a tad bit overrated and you might not want to like you know fall into like you know as per what everyone does the better alternative which we feel that has an equal vibrance and the best alternative would be Prague in Czech Republic so I think like you know considering the amount of uh, like you know attractions it has within the city and the entire culture and the feel is very much similar to Paris but uh, for Indian travelers I think Czech Republic is something which is still on the rise right in terms of the awareness that they have so and Czech is also and Prague is also one place where you can keep as a good base to cover some beautiful uh, like you know towns and villages nearby so one would definitely be Sesky Kromlov and Sesky Bjorovic where like you know you can experience some really amazing bohemian architecture and history around that uh, Karlovy Vary is one place where you could like you know explore for some really good spas and like you know some amazing architecture and gardens uh, in the city so I think like uh, within Prague it's and if you're also looking for a bit of adventure in Prague Prague also has uh, opened up a skydiving school as well so and uh, fortunately a lot of people say that it's not that expensive as well it's, it costs something around like uh, 15 to 17 grand per person for a tandem skydive so that is something which you could which on average somewhere about 25 normally places. other places it would be around like around uh, 25 to yeah. 25 depending upon which country you're looking at and and the beautiful thing about Prague is got this you know this castle in the backdrop and you know the entire city has the river in between it has that charm uh, about it that medievalist charm about it that you know probably Paris does not have and doesn't have the crowds that Paris uh, brings in you know being after all Paris is the most visited uh, city in the world and uh, and the other beauty about Prague is if you guys love your beer, I think the only oh, uh, oh, oh yeah, it's like it has a brilliant pop crawl uh, scene going on, and uh, especially I mean I think uh, the only other country that can compete with Prague's beer is probably Germany, Berlin or Munich. Those are the only two other cities who can compete in terms of beer culture. So if that is, if those are the things that you're looking for. Prague is a great alternative uh, to Paris. Right. So uh, I think Raghu is back. Uh, thanks guys, that cleared out a lot. I'm also curious about Eastern Europe, somewhere around Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, Romania, which would be the best honeymoon uh, and what uh, would these places have to offer. Very interesting and a lot more offbeat, right? So I mean like when people consider Eastern Europe, uh, Czech Republic, Hungary, Vienna and like you know, a little bit of Austria would come uh, right in terms of the routing. Austria right? is also would look at, can be looked into. But uh, I think like when you were specifically looking into the far eastern destinations like uh, Bulgaria and uh, Romania, 
so i mean like bulgaria is a very offbeat place and not much uh, like you know aware in terms of where indians would want to travel so sofia is one really beautiful city where you could kind of keep as a base to cover like you know places like the vila mountains where it has like you know seven lakes ascending from one level to another and uh, of course romania is known for like you know uh, apart from places like belgrade uh, if you're into dracula a lot of good history and some like you know offbeat places to stay in the uh, dracula castle transylvania should be a really good uh, opportunity for you guys to like you know explore some spooky nights but i'm not sure if that's something which you would want to go through on your honeymoon <laughs> but uh, i think like coming back to bulgaria it's something which you could also consider for a good road trip uh, especially when you're doing it along the eastern side and like you know driving across the black sea so you have a lot of beautiful options with respect to like you know good road trips uh, across those areas but apart from these places ragu what i would recommend is uh, i mean the reason why i'm not stressing much on bulgaria and uh, romania for now is when it comes to the visa process you might want to take a separate visa given that these two countries don't come under the schengen so probably like you know if at all you anyway would be applying for a multiple entry schengen visa so you might want to make use of it to uh, like you know go explore places like say croatia and like you know given that uh, if you have a multiple entry then you can be eligible to uh, enter and exit croatia as well and neighboring places like slovenia is also one place which you could really uh, like you know explore uh, if you're combining it with uh, the other eastern european destinations like prague and budapest in prague vienna uh, budapest uh, slovenia and croatia is oh, like yes. one you know it's like it's just one vertical line almost like a vertical line you guys can cover this in sequence and it also has like decent flight community at least of flights from delhi and mumbai uh, not so much from chennai and bangalore but at least from uh, delhi and mumbai these places do have good uh, flight connectivity and uh, you know these uh, five countries can i mean we usually recommend croatia alone at least requires about some eight or nine seven days right seven, days, seven right. to nine yeah. days and then you have slovenia for about say two three days and then uh, Budapest depending upon how much you guys are into Budapest is a great place for nightlife by the way right. it's got again one of those very unique things about Budapest is one is the, of course the open thermal baths that right. uh, yeah and, and, spa, and right. spa culture that is not found across anywhere else in Europe and the other thing is the ruined pubs so Budapest is one of the places where you know world war 2 was like severely contested at and a lot of the world war ruins have been turned into nightclubs and pubs right now so that has a very unique atmosphere again something that you would not going to find anywhere else in europe just imagine standing you know partying amidst a world war ruin uh, so budapest is great regarding that then vienna is a bit more classical and then of course as we discussed i think we discussed enough about prague yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't want to even touch about prague again Saying that should answer your question. Uh, next, Then, we have Sindhu Sukumar asking us, can you suggest some trips for uh, to combine both honeymoon and the northern nights? I think we've had quite a lot, a lot of, people of people last year. That. We've had someone do uh, like uh, Reykjavik, uh, no Iceland. They did a road trip for about like eight days. Then they went ah, to Norway. Yes. uh for about the northern lights for about some 5 6 days yeah, and then yeah. they, you know exited out of amsterdam so we do have a lot of people uh you know uh, doing uh, such combinations but i think uh iceland in winter is can be a great honeymoon destination if you're really good at driving that would be my you know it's like uh 
focus uh, point and uh, it's kind of like driving on the moon right so to put it in simple terms it might be a little bit complicated yeah, than what you experience across other destinations in europe so iceland is something which you might want to take a step back when you consider driving during the winter season but also if you're looking at specific places in norway i think uh, a really good offbeat destination which we recently found and also has been a really good hit from the suggestions we've given to our recent travelers is this archipelago towards the northern side called the Lofoten Islands, right? So places like Svalbard, Rain, uh, Narvik. So these are beautiful places where you have an amazing landscapes and all the archipelagos and like you know a bunch of islands are interconnected through like you know beautiful roadways. And it also is one of the best locations in northern side of Norway to experience the northern lights as well. Because some people might think that Tromso is destination across northern Norway to experience the northern lights so rather like you know if you're looking for something different in offbeat uh, Senja is one island down south below the Lofoten which you could consider but I think considering the flight connectivity and the amount of travel and the time frame you would have probably Swalbear would be a good base to keep us to like you know to experience the northern lights so I think, I think that is something we could consider. I think uh, to be just add a couple more uh, quick points on that is that uh, the reason why Tromsø is different from Lofoten, Lofoten has brilliant back in mountains and lakes Absolutely. against which the northern lights just look absolutely stunning. Tromso, yes, great place to uh, see the northern lights, but Lofoten's backdrop offers something that's very unique and just absolutely breathtaking uh, to, uh, you know, experience the northern lights. You can combine Sweden and Norway, uh, especially if you guys don't mind spend shelling out a lot more, say probably somewhere about 2 to 2.5 lakhs for like an 8 day trip. Then uh, per person, uh, then uh, Finland, sorry, Sweden and Norway would be a great combination because you have beautiful igloo hotels, beautiful tree hotels, very unique accommodations with glass windows, and you can just you know watch the northern lights from the comfort of your uh, living room. Perfect, great. So uh, I think we're just uh, three minutes away, so we could probably take a question or more stops. What is the recent issue? With? Um, so, uh, Tisha Bhasin has asked us, with the recent issue with Maldives, should it be considered for a honeymoon in April? Uh, I mean, like, it's kind of like similar to the volcano eruption in Bali and like, you know, I mean, like, you might want to take a step back when such, uh, like, you know, issues rise up uh, in such destinations. But at, for the time being, when we approached our partners locally over there, they said, uh, with respect to tourism, it's like, you know, something which you don't have to worry much about. but if you still feel that you know you you have a mental block and you might not want to consider Maldives at this point of time, you do have a lot of other destination I options as well, like Mauritius and Seychelles, or like you know something close by to India where you could also look at Sri Lanka. And uh, I think Sri Lanka is one place yeah, where yeah, you could, like you know, where it's not uh, like you know considered a lot, and people would still be able to find a lot of beautiful offbeat places down the south, right? So Hekadua and the Bentota is known to be very common and usual but once you move down south places like say Velikama and like you know towards the upper side of Yala National Park you have you know, a lot of beautiful coastal regions and like you know destinations which would give you the actual island effect so that is something which you could consider and of course like you know you also have your Southeast Asian islands like uh, Philippines, uh, places across Indonesia. So I think these are best alternatives that you could look into at the moment. And just to just circle back and you know, uh, so we had uh, last in last December we had uh, Spain's Catalonia region. Ah, uh, yes. You know, there was unrest and this year it's Maldives and you know you have or uh, the Bali volcanic uh, eruption. 
in most of these cases what you what you do see as a trend is that it doesn't affect uh, you know your ground uh, travel or be it in terms of your safety because these people value i mean especially in islands like maldives tourists is their one of their primary uh, sources of uh, income as well so they make sure that uh, the tourists are safe so we did uh, check with the hotels we did check with all our ground partners and i also personally have some friends in maldives it doesn't uh, you know affect daily life as you know it's portrayed in the media so in case if you guys still you know are very specific on the maldives it can still be considered as an option to be in there yeah great so i think mm-hmm. that comes to a wrap <laughs> and that's really interesting questions <laughs> yes <laughs> So uh great so thanks a lot guys i think we've had a uh, lot of interesting questions and we hope it's been really informative uh, across uh, like you know all the queries that you asked so hoping to get back to you uh, guys with another interesting session or fast me everything next week or whenever we schedule it back do follow us on facebook and uh, see you bye bye